Support for this Guardian podcast comes from Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes creating a professional website for your business, personal brand or portfolio so easy it's newsworthy. Go to squarespace.com and use the offer Guardian to get 10% off. The Guardian. Hello, this is Music Weekly and I'm Kieran Yates. This week, Annie Clark, aka St. Vincent, spins the five defining tracks of her career, plus Police, Shora, and the amazing Snakeheads. All here on Music Weekly from The Guardian. This week, I'm joined by Harriet Gibson and Michael Han from the Music Desk. Hello. Hi. How are Hello, you? Kieran. We're, well, we're here still in lieu of Alexis, whose latest Alexis update. <laughs> the sutures uh, burst on his uh, bunion surgery the oh. other day, and oh. I think I think it got it uh, infected. Um, oh. So the doctors called him back. I know that that's what people want to hear. Maybe Alexis didn't want me to say, but bad luck, Alexis. You're not here. Send <laughs> you the bizarre gore pages. <laughs> oh, I love. Well, I, I used to work. Um, my first job was in the medical press. <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> What is a bunion? It's what Victoria Beckham has because she wears really tight shoes. It's like strange growths on your feet, but I don't have the science to hand. Okay. I, I'm sure that uh, Pascal, our producer, will edit yeah. in a yeah, doctor at this sure. point explaining bunions. Anyway, <laughs> let's talk about music news this week. Oh, no, let's talk about bizarre medical things. Go on. I've got more. I've got more. Um, what's happening? You're the news girl, Harriet. So this week, uh, apparently, rock music's back. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we won. We won. Mm-hmm. Guitar guitar bands they've been uh, fighting a battle for many years but apparently people are still buying albums with rock bands. Although I don't know if I actually agree that you mean Bast- Queen fans are still buying well, Queen fans and Arctic Monkeys fans and Bastille as well. I don't really know if Bastille was actually a rock artist though. Yeah, the the actual figure is um that um 40% of the best-selling 10,000 albums were classified as rock. Um, which, as our report said, helped it to overcome the fact that the five best sellings of 2013, Emily Sunday, One Direction, and three now compilations, were all pop. Um, but yes, as Harriet points out, Bastille being counted as rock, which is, I suspect, mm. even Bastille wouldn't count themselves as rock. I don't think so. I don't know what it. What is he though? He. It's a group. It's not just him. It's a group. Is it alt pop? <laughs> or just? I'd, I'd have said just oh. pop. Okay. Um, and also, Rod Stewart was a big hit and. As much as I love Rod Stewart, and I do, I venerate, I have two signed Rod Stewart albums. I'd be very hard pushed to call his most recent album kind of a big, strong piece of rock and roll music. Um, <laughs> Has he still got it though, Rod? I suppose Rod's still got it. Yeah, still got what? You know, sexy. He's still sexy. Did you, do, you, do you find the young Rod Stewart sexy? No, I wouldn't say that to Rod Stewart. <laughs> what about Rod Stewart now? He's very, <laughs> he's very charming. He has a deep tan and really? very expensive hair. Didn't he chat you up once? Yeah, I interviewed him. I wouldn't right. say he chatted me up. <laughs> I, I don't think I'm really... I mean, I suppose I am tall and in a certain light blonde, but I think that that's where my attract, where Rod Stewart's attraction to me might end. But yes, and as Harry points out, Queen. Yes, there you Six go. million albums now sold of Queen's Greatest Hits, the best-selling album ever. I don't own it. I don't know. No. I, I once borrowed a copy from a girl I was sort of seeing when I was about 14 and I lost it on the bus. <laughs> the album. Not the real album, it's a relationship in that moment as well. Uh, speaking of sexy stars, I hear that Justin Bieber's model has been removed from Madame Tussauds New York, right? Yeah, I think fans have basically fondled him to such an extent that they had to remove it. I don't know if they've ground him down to sort of a strange sort of pulp, but uh, he's certainly not uh, ready for um, public consumption anymore in that way. 
Can I can I use the phrase wanking the wax beaver without it being edited out? <laughs> that's that's true. What an image that is. The same um, things happened to the One Direction dolls in Tokyo as well. They've all been touching up the Tokyo dolls. That's right. It's all alliterative sexual wax <laughs> su- mm-hmm. suggestion. Headline gold. <laughs> <laughs> but but Justin Bieber's not the only teen pop star who's been making waves because Miley Cyrus has mm-hmm. been talking about her bangers tour after she tweeted photographs of her astride a giant hot dog. Oh, yes. It does, so she, it does look really exciting, doesn't it? She said, even though parents probably won't think this, I think my show is educational for kids. They're going to be exposed to art most people don't know about. People are taught to look at things in black and white, especially in small towns. Mm. I'm excited to take this tour to places where art like this wouldn't be accepted, where kids wouldn't learn about this different kind of art, which raises the question of how many large arenas there are in small towns. (laughs) I don't think there are that many. Miley is preaching. What is art? I know, oh. right? What is art, eh? Well, well see, I, I, thinker. I mean, you, I suppose you could argue that the giant hot dog is pop art, isn't it? Yeah. There are giant hot dogs in pop art. I'm sure Pascal producer will edit in an art critic at this point explain the role of giant hot dogs in art. Um. <laughs> <laughs> are you excited about it, Harriet? Are you going to go? Would you I, like yeah, to? I would really love to see her, actually. Mm-hmm. Is, is she playing with uh, Sky Ferreira as well? Isn't she supporting? There's a good lineup, basically, That'd of uh, quite sort of... Uh, well, some would say unhinged women uh, performing together. Um, no, I'd love to see her play. I, although I I'm not offended by her in any kind of shape or form either, no, so I kind of let it I, wash over me. I'm and a just champion enjoy of her. Mm. I think especially because you've, we've seen a lot of um, stuff going on about the Taylor Swift gigs this week, and I was thinking like that would be kind of a good show, but Miley would be far superior. Am, am I the only person in this room who has actually seen Miley Cyrus live? Oh! <laughs> oh, yeah. The old oh, Miley. Go on, man. <laughs> the good girl. No, it was, it was sort of transition Miley. Oh, That's right, the thing. Right. Um, so although she was still on Hollywood Records, what was she uh, the Disney label, she did straddle a giant motorbike, not a giant motorbike, she did straddle a motorbike which was brought out above the audience's heads 50 feet out into the O2 arena while singing I Love Rock and Roll. And I've got to say, there's nothing not to love about someone singing I Love Rock and Roll from a motorbike 50 feet above your head. How did it compare to Britney's version? I'm not familiar with Britney's version, mm. I have to be honest. It's um, a good one. He's a good one. <laughs> um, uh, but she, there was also pole dancing in the show. So she was she was trying to adapt herself to be um, new Miley, mm. but still within the constraints of being quite Disney-fied and having to have promos for her latest terrible film shown between songs and play all the old hits. But I've got to say, Miley, mm-hmm. old Miley musically, I have a lot of time for. I've had arguments with people on message boards about this because there were some great power pop hits in that period. Start all over. It's just amazing. See you again is fantastic. Party in the USA, great song. Not a so, touch uh, bangers though. I, I never thought. I, I, I never realised that you, you could look conservative and rockist defending Miley Cyrus, but in comparison with New Miley. <laughs> what else has been going on this week? Pharrell and Elton John are apparently going to collaborate on something, aren't they? They both love each other. They both love yeah. each other. Although, what's what your thoughts on his hat on the um, Park Ranger fedora? I'm into it. You're into it. Yeah. There's been there's been um, if you haven't been following this, Michael, there's lots of sort of viral memes happening on the internet about people. I know about photoshopping. Hat. Okay, on. photoshopping the fedora onto various stars and seeing who wore it best. Is it really a fedora? It's kind of. It's like a Park Ranger one, isn't it? Mm. Those aren't fedoras, though. Kind. What is it? I don't know. Silly. Now on to Singles Club. Harriet, your track first.
That was Rumble by Khalees. Harriet, talk us through that. Um, so this is, I think, the second single from her new album, Food, which she's worked with Dave Sitek on. Um, and I just think it's really beautiful. She's always had a real uh, way with melancholy and heartache, but mm. I think she's somehow acquired this really kind of gravelly... Um, really heavy sadness to her voice as she's gotten older and I just think that song's uh, really really quite moving and especially when you consider like her caught out here kind of phase of, of being really aggressively angry about heartache and this is kind of a more you can tell she's a bit bruised internally and exhausted by it all rather than being kind of adolescent and angry about being hurt um but yeah I just think it's a, a really beautiful song and it really is, uh, it sounds like her as well it sounds like you can hear her voice as opposed to that whole um kaleidoscope kaleidoscope um era when she did call out there and good stuff and get her children where it was all quite shouty and and all sort of it sounded like all first album stuff and this almost sounds like she's sort of got a little bit more instrumental in a lot of ways and taken those sort of jazz elements that are in her musical background and and sort of run with them a little bit which is what i like too yeah it's pretty beautiful isn't it much i much prefer it to milkshake and the other one yeah definitely it's rubbish. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, it's rubbish. What do you think, Michael? Well, I thought it was great, but, yeah. you know, it uh, it ticks a lot of obvious boxes for me, and I'm mm. intrigued that you liked it more than the more technologically sophisticated Khalees right. that uh, that you referred to. Um, I mean, I think the that kind of the Southern Soul strut is one of the five greatest rhythmic bases in all pop music, um, and it's used fantastically there. Um, brilliant melody. Uh, what you're saying about her voice changing as well, I was thinking as I was listening to it, have I been sent the wrong track? Are we sure this is Khalees? The voice mm. just sounds too deep and grave mm. and everything. Um, but but ab- ab- absolutely marvellous, kind of comforting in its familiarity as well. It's mm. one of those songs that sounds like it's been around forever, even though it's completely new. I mean, it sounds like it could have been released on high records in 1972 mm. without sounding like it's plagiarising. I think everything about it is wonderful. Also, she's had... If what her musical evolution sounds like it's quite organic from you know the the sort of angriness of caught out there to the more sort of pop sheen trick me milkshake era to this it feels like she does have ownership of it and it doesn't feel like she's just sort of left another sound behind her you know what I mean which I think is quite difficult to do sometimes yeah and she, I mean she's gone back to she's kind of had her mainstream very kind of uh, major label phase and now she's mm. signed to Ninja Tune I think for yeah. this album so it kind of there's a very sort of organic and basicness to the the music which I guess is sort of weirdly reflected in where her career is going as well kind of back to the start yeah. really um have you heard any any more of food um no I mean I've heard Jet Ribs the other single but I haven't heard the album yet but I've heard lots of people talking about it in a very positive way yeah Are you excited yeah yeah I love her it's, yeah that's gonna be good and what good. did you think then yeah, it's good. I liked it. Is that Very it? good. Yeah, <laughs> good. 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 I, 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 I also think, and I, I, I rarely say this about pop stars. I find Khalees unbearably sexy. She's really sexy, and I think she was sexy when she had this sort of big multicoloured afro. And then I saw her at um, uh, the Rise Festival when the the, the the Rise Against Racism Festival still existed in uh, Victoria Park, I think, in London. Uh, and and that was sort of her big major label phase, and when Milkshake was really bro- blowing up. And she still looked, you know, she still was dressed in a really unconventional way, and there was still quite an unconventional manner about her. You know, she had sort of, you know, crazy multicoloured weave and, you know, sort of 70s, um, you know, that Beatles jacket um, 
Sergeant Pepper type yeah. outfit on and you know and she was quite an unconventionally sexy star and doing all these uh, that's why I feel like it, it worked that she was doing all these big pop tracks that were really catchy and you know lots of young teenage girls were loving but she was also doing the like I fucking hate you yeah angry songs too I'm Good. glad she's uh, left David Guetta as well. Um, oh, my God! That was, that was an awful phase. I'm oh, glad she's yeah, working with... Oh, yeah, I forgot with, about that. Because obviously, I mean, her, her kind of style is very much influenced by whatever producer of the moment she's working with, like Pharrell, obviously, in Neptune's, mm. and Neptune's, and now Dave Sitek. But, yeah, that was a kind of blip that I'm very happy that she's left behind. Yeah. Next up is Michael's track. She got something in her That was flatlining by the amazing snakeheads. Bet you loved that, didn't you, Kieran? Oh, it's too she much. took your headphones off. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, the the amazing snakeheads uh, are my new latest love. Um, I saw them this weekend for the first time at the Other Voices Festival in Derry in Northern Ireland. They played a six-song set. Um, Other Voices takes place in a converted church. Mm. Uh, the audience is kind of mixed with competition winners, music industry people local dignitaries it's really not the kind of audience or venue you would expect a rock and roll band like this to work in and I was transfixed from the minute they came on absolutely couldn't take my eyes off them uh, Dale Barkley the singer strode straight to the front of the stage and eyeballed the audience you know almost as offering them outside uh, the bass player you know has the air of you know, the, the hired muscle about him because I'm, I'm sure they're not I'm sure they're perfectly nice people but you know it's great projection uh, he reminded me a lot of someone who died before I took any interest in music a man called Alex Harvey who's a Glaswegian singer who some of our listeners will be familiar with the same kind of sense of theatricality and projection and kind of playing a menacing role and it's that crossed with what at the time reminded me of one of my favourite groups um, the early 80s um, Pacific Northwest punk group The Wipers now, you couldn't say that The Amazing Snakeheads are terribly original. There's an awful lot of familiar stuff in them. Uh, but it's the way they do it that's so thrilling. I mean, it's, it's so refreshing to hear someone, to hear a, a rock and roll band singing a proudly regional accent. I mean, it's a very thick Glaswegian accent on all their songs, mm. almost incomprehensible at times. Uh, they dress fantastically, uh, by which I don't mean that they wear brilliant clothes but they kind of look great by accident now the front two were both wearing black slacks the singer dale had on white shoes white white patent leather shoes i think slightly grubby and this awful patterned satiny shirt but it just looks so right they look like a band who put a lot of thought into what they're doing and from the six songs i heard they've got the sound too i mean it's the most excited i've been as i wrote in the paper this week it's the most excited i've been watching a rock and roll band since I first saw the Hold Steady in 2007. And those oh, wait, this who've... is the one where you said you couldn't sleep, right? Or yeah, you... <laughs> yeah, I literally I couldn't get to sleep until about half three in the morning. I, I just kept thinking about how great this was. You know, it was stomach-churningly exciting, which is not a feeling I get very often. And, you know, I, I've, I've been moaning a lot about where are the great rock and roll bands coming from because that is what I love and there's been no sign of them. I got so fed up with grim competence and there's no hint of grim competence about these people by which I don't mean they're incompetent, uh, by which I mean that 
getting to making the most efficient use of the chords to get the song that's most likely to get airplay is clearly of no interest to them. Mm. Um, but now it's it's very dark. The video for this opens you know, horrifically with a, an actual pumping heart, presumably taking some medical video or something. Mm-hmm. But there's the I didn't get the sense of you know they're, they're winding the audience up. I think all the confrontation is about trying to break down the barriers and make the audience part of the show. And it's it's, I, it's uplifting in an odd sort of way. Um, there's an album coming out on Domino late this year. They've had two singles so far. Flatlining is their second, which came out um, a couple of weeks ago. Their first, Testifying Time, is only 73 seconds long. Always to be encouraged. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, intri- I'm really looking forward to the album. I, I can't wait to hear what it sounds like. But more to the point, I can't wait to see them playing live in a place where they've got their own audience. Everyone's up front of the stage. You've got the sweat dripping from the ceiling. All the stuff that you hate. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think I think they will be amazing in that, that environment. I tweet about them on Saturday evening and got loads of tweets back from people saying, God, yes, I felt exactly the same as you when I saw them. Harriet, what did you think? Uh, yeah, I really liked it. I, I, I liked that it made me feel like I was turning into a bit of a lunatic listening to it. Mm. It's kind of really unhinged. And um, I also really adore uh, a thick Scottish accent, mm. uh, partly because of my heritage and partly because it's just quite an aggressive sound, which you, you rarely hear. I, I really like that band, The Twilight Sad, that use that kind of really raspy, rasping, kind of uh, menacing kind of tone. Um, and um, I, I like the kind of unusual little parps of saxophone as well that's a nice Mm. little touch that sort of adds to the sort of weirdness of it all as if you're sort of losing your mind gradually um and most of all i love that michael loves them so much i know it's rare that you get kind of a joy to watch yeah it is (laughs) i do i do i do get excited sometimes not quite often but you know i mean you know how it is the volume of music that comes in and this is music journalists complaining what a terrible trope it is because it is but so much music comes in that most of it just go yeah yeah that's fine that's fine that's fine that's fine that's fine and when you hear something that just knocks your socks off, that yeah. reminds you of why you wanted yeah. to write about music in the first place, it's it's the m- most breathless and wonderful feeling. Yeah, it doesn't happen that often. It's like a really good kebab. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah well, I, I actually first heard of The Amazing Snakeheads because I was writing for NME last year and they uh, did a tour, which you would have loved, uh, the club NME Radio Tour with Fat White Family and Cerebral Ballsy. Um, I, would, I would love two thirds of that tour. Yeah, yeah, I don't mind Cerebral Brawlsy, but Fat White Family and um, and Amazing Snakeheads on the same belt. God, I wish I'd been paying attention when that tour was announced. Uh, yeah, well, it was. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, last November, and um, I sort of wrote a bit about it. And uh, yeah, I mean, I don't like it, but everyone who was like, a, <laughs> everyone who was like a, a you know a major fan of that kind of music was like, you know, saying it was like incredible, and it was you know it was it, it really delivered on all the kinds. Of, stuff that they wanted to deliver so I think it's that kind of savages type thing where it has this really incredible uh, live experience that even if you're not a huge fan of them you have to go and see them perform live anyway um, and also uh, yeah I sort of take that Glaswegian point the sort of grottiness of it is really felt in the video especially the last shot I think is like one of one of the guys like lying on the floor with a bloodied hand and smoking a fag and I went to um, King Tut's uh, when I went to doing like a music tour, a music venue tour in Glasgow a couple of years ago, and um, t- and they were talking about you know how that kind of thing sort of takes place in that venue, and I just thought, yeah, that's that's so like grotty and Glaswegian. I could definitely see that. <laughs> you know, this, this kind of music. Not that they're all grotty, <laughs> but you get the point. Anyway, moving on is my track next. <laughs>
That was Shora with Touch. Yep, so Shora is a London-based singer-songwriter by way of Russia. She's a mixed race, um, half English and half Russian, and um, spent a lot of her formative years there, and then moved to London to study, and then uh, moved over to South America to sort of, you know, make music and be inspired, and then came back to London. And um, this is a product of her sort of taking a lot of those musical influences and obviously taking... um, sort of inspiration by you know contemporary R&B type sounds uh, which I really loved you know I, I really like this kind of um, which is no secret this sort of you know melancholia and um, those things with those 80s R&B pop filters almost or you know those sounds that we've heard a lot before and people doing it slightly differently um, and I think she is on this I think that with music like this it's very easy because there's such a deluge of it to write it off as just sounding all the same but I think that you know it's it's packed with a real kind of softness and her voice is very beautiful on this there's a kind of hamey almost bat for lashes type vocal on it which I really liked and there's really nice production details you know that the sort of piano line and and those synths even though we have been we have heard that a lot of the time a lot with Miguel and Dev Hines I think that paired with her interesting vocal it sounds very nice and um yeah the video is coming out later in the year and apparently there's lots of snogging lesbians in it so Great. that's something to look forward to but yeah I mean I think as a you know as a release it was uh, sort of released on the internet on her SoundCloud it was picked up by Fader and a few other people and I think as a first offering you know the first thing that you've you know put onto the internet that's a really exciting you know it's a really exciting thing it's a really exciting sort of entrance point um, and especially for critics who might just think that it sounds like everything else. I think that's a really great way in. Um, and I'm excited to see what else happens. So, yeah, what do you think, Harriet? Did she produce it all herself? Um, I think she she uh, produced a lot of it and then sort of had help from various other people. But I think her brother's also the DJ or something, and so I think that he had a bit of... A bit of help. Help. <laughs> help, yeah. <laughs> Um, it really reminded me of uh, Lord's uh, tennis courts. It's the same sort of. Uh, oh, I haven't thought of that. But, but yes, yeah, I hear that. I really liked it. Um, I didn't actually like her uh, voice that much until you told me she was Russian because I thought she was just a shot of putting it on like that oh, in order to be kind of different or uh, sophisticated in some way. But no, it, it's, it's it's good, and and I do. I'm a sucker for that kind of music anyway. But it is quite a a great example of it. Mm-hmm. I'm starting to get a little bit bored of it, mm-hmm. to be honest. Um, not that I feel like we've got too much. It's just I'm not seeing it go to the next level where it's really incredible, and mm-hmm. I want to listen to a whole album of it. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. the one, the singular tracks I think are really great for this sort of genre, but a full album I still haven't heard, which is like really excellent. Um, but um, yeah, she's good, and I'd never heard of her until now. So yeah. I liked it, but it's, uh, what I'm interested in is that everyone's got different things out it. You're hearing R and B, Harriet's hearing things like Lord, and I was thinking I was hearing Scandi pop. Mm. I was hearing you, know, um, Annie in her quieter moments, yeah. uh, yeah. Lee in her quieter moments, things like that. Um, the melancholy, yes, I, li- I liked her voice, and I didn't have a even before I knew that she was half Russian. Mm. I, I like the understatedness and the um, the sadness and the the well, what I thought was slightly mannered. I have no problem with slight manner, slight mannerisms. Mm. Um, rather lovely. Um, is, she, is she signed at all now, or no? She's unsigned. I don't think that'll last. I think she will be picked up. I think, she? yeah, I think so. It sounds like the kind of thing that would be um, 
picked up. I don't know whether that's just because there's a trend for this kind of sound at the moment. But the, the one thing I would agree with Harriet about, well, I agree with Harriet about many things. <laughs> the, the one thing in this conversation I agree with Harriet about is that we do have a, quite a lot yeah. of similar sounding stuff. But then there's always quite a lot of similar sounding stuff, isn't there? So in, in all genres. Um, what I think, guess, I guess the thing is, when you know, what, what comes next? Which is always the crucial thing with new acts, isn't it? That yeah, was a but, very facile thing of me to say. But also it's about, you know, pairing your vocal, um, making really, you know, oh, sorry. Really it's about making really informed decisions when it comes to working with producers and working with different sounds and pairing your vocals with the right kinds of uh, production details. And I think that, you know, this could be a really exciting album if it was done right, if it was, if there were moments of, you know, euphoria and there were, you know, other sort of things happening apart from the lo-fi melancholic you know produ- uh, production type things as well um that's what i would quite like to see and that's and that's why i think actually um dev Hines's keep a deluxe album worked really well because there were fascinating moments there are really sort of overlong pretentious moments too but i think that yeah this this can work but it has it takes a little bit of thinking and consideration i mean so this is the point that the, the place where i enjoy r&b and mm. pop the most is where I, f- I find those genres mixed. I, I genuinely don't have the knowledge to assess lots of that stuff on a purist level. Sure. But those bits where it all crosses over, I mean, the Blood Orange Jam is a great example of the bits where I can hear the invention. Um, but also, when it's when they're married to to songs and melodies mm. that that it really excites me. And this this was a good song and a, a good song and a strong melody <laughs> with a great beat. Um, you know what I mean? I, I, I sound ridiculous, but um, it's those bits where I. The knowledge and the information I have allows me to interpret the song, and you know, but it's a song. That's the key thing for me. It's a song. That's yeah. what I liked. And I, I just think the the mark of a of a successful track is whether you will be excited to hear the next one, and I think I will be. Would you be as excited to hear the next one from that as you will be to hear the Amazing Snakeheads album? Uh, you know, I've done my time with them. I feel right now. <laughs> <laughs> what I love about you, Kieran, is your open mindedness. <laughs> You too, Michael. <laughs> I, uh, I bet I, I was on Jesse Lanza before you, Kieran. That's what, I'm never going to let you forget no, that. No, you were, you were. No, I we're, was. We are secret musical soulmates. Um, that's it from Singles Club. After the love-in for her track on Singles Club last week, we thought it was time to hear more from St Vincent and her musical inspirations. She came in to talk through the five tracks that define her career to date. So Red is a song from my first record. That record's called Marry Me. This one, I remember being really into Robert Fripp at the time. And st- I still am, but I kind of was in the first, like, intoxicating throes of, of discovering his guitar playing. He can play really beautifully and uh, do the kind of Frippertronics thing where he can play things that sound like they're so out, they're from another planet, and they kind of imbue a really awesome, you know, pop song with this, like, perversion. My face is drawn. My face is 
When I wrote Your Lips Are Red, I didn't really have a proper band, and I was, you know, I made a lot of my first record in my bedroom on, you know, the computer by myself, and then made some of it in uh, Birmingham, Alabama with some friends of mine who were in the polyphonic spree, and um, this song, the the riff in it, I should say, um, was uh, written by my uh, friend Daniel Hart, who was in the polyphonic spree, that really wild thing. Originally, it was a a violin part and then I doubled it with guitar um, and the song for me was is is one of those how do I explain this it's like it's the inverse of itself at the end and I think about music like that a lot like okay what's the what's the space and then what's the negative space how can I draw the negative space on the end I played in the polyphonic spree when I had just dropped out of college and I moved back to Texas and I was kind of in that like what am I gonna do with my life I mean I knew I wanted to make music but I didn't exactly know how or where where it was going and luckily I was only in that state of like limbo for about three weeks before I tried out for the polyphonic spree because I had a, you know a number of friends who were in the band already and uh, and then was next thing I knew I was in Europe on a on a tour bus with you know like 15 other rowdy Texans and I just had I had a just such a good time I was just running around playing rock music in this like psychedelic freak show is awesome. from my second record called Actor. I think some of that writing, that like staccato um, horn arrangements were things that I brought into Love This Giant, the record I did with David Byrne. As I have a little bit more perspective on on past work now that I'm a, a few years on from it, I think, um, I think the record Actor and that song in particular, it was really about this feeling of um, alienation from the self like if you ever have that time where you're like looking at your body and you're like is my arm a robot arm or I feel very disconnected from this vessel that I'm walking around in Marrow is a song that kind of speaks speaks to that. Like, you know, I I wish I had a um, an iron spine, and I wish that you know I was full of all the the courage and all the the empathy that that I feel I'm lacking right now. In this modern age, there's a very black mirror kind of um, sensibility. I think that we perform selfhood in so many ways, and it used to be that you could only perform selfhood in the kind of analog way where okay well this this shirt I'm wearing or this haircut says something about whether I know it or not it says something about who I am to others and now we have all these digital permutations of, of selfhood 
and there's no graveyard on the internet. You exist in um, your imagined and idealized forms forever. So there's a little bit of a schizophrenic divide, I think, these days. Um, but I also think it's incredibly awesome. And um, I look at like the new generation who doesn't remember a time before the internet and they seem very self-possessed and they learned how to do everything. They know how to do everything and they learned it by watching YouTube. And it's amazing, you know? My f the favorite person I've ever collaborated with? Oh, well, that's David Byrne. David was so fun and we toured the record Love This Giant we toured it all around the world and um, it was a real 180 from the solo tour I had done before because I was I was touring Strange Mercy which was a you know pretty dark record and the shows were getting more and more violent and I was stage diving and I you know I remember coming back from back from Strange Mercy and going right into Love This Giant rehearsals and it was summertime and, and I was wearing shorts and my legs just like, I looked like a, I'd been in, you know, a horrible accident. There were just like bruises all over. Um, and then I walked into Love This Giant and it was just like the vibe of the show was completely different. It was uplifting and um, fun. It was choreographed and kind of this like cosmic absurdity. And um, so I started writing my new record about 36 hours after I got back from the first leg of Love This Giant. And um, I was really inspired by the fact that people were getting up and dancing during the shows and just having a really like joyful time. So I wanted to bring that kind of energy, that, that dance ability and that kinetic energy into um, whatever I did next. So I've said it before, but I wanted to make a party record you could play at a funeral. And I guess what I mean by that, it's just that the groove factor should loom large, but there should also be, you know, heart and pathos and empathy and all these things that you can, you know, take with you in your uh, more vulnerable moments. And Dave is very fearless and very uh, just inexhaustibly creative, so that was just totally inspiring to be around.
Strange Mercy is the title track of my last solo record. Uh, it's sort of, I sort of was thinking about Dolly Parton when I wrote it. I'm really obsessed with like really well crafted songs, like the kind of songs that, oh man, you could build a house out of that song. Like that is so sturdy. Like that is just rock solid. Every, everything's kind of neatly, neatly tied up. And there's that unique universality about it. Like, oh man, that's me in there but then also just like country songs like old time like Hank Williams and Loretta Lynn like and also what I guess what I like about country music is like it's weirdly not aspirational at all like we're kind of surrounded by really aspirational music like oh you know get the champagne and the Bentley or whatever um, which is fine. I hope everybody who wants champagne and Bentleys gets them. But I like country music because it's like, like ooh, it's just relatable on on a really day to day kind of kind of way. Anyway, I talked about country music for too long just now. But I was thinking about like that kind of well crafted song. I was trying to write something like that. There's a lot of heart in the song, and that's one. I think that that's the thing that people connect to the most. You know, you can talk about like. You can talk about process or how you got how, what you were inspired by, but I think ultimately, if it doesn't move somebody on a really gut level, even if they haven't experienced the exact same thing, that they can hear the song and then superimpose themselves into it. That's what gets me, at least. Birth in Reverse is um, probably the first song I wrote for this new record. author and I'm a couple lines I'm kind of winking at her this song I always it always kind of reminded me of a b 52 song like not any one specifically but just like it had to me it had this kind of like B-52's vibe and I was trying really desperately to see if Fred Schneider would would like make a remix and what I mean by remix is like have him do the commentary that he does in B-52's songs, like, birth and reverse, you know, like, have him do that over the song. Because I always thought, like, he has kind of the coolest job in rock music. Like, he's just, he's there commenting on whatever is happening in the song. Like, he's the one-man Greek chorus. <laughs> so it's, like, such a cool role and, like, such a cool, cool conceit for a band. Yeah, so Fred Schneider, if you're listening. <laughs> The first line of Birth and Reverse, um, Oh, what an ordinary day, take out the garbage, masturbate, is, um, it's a few things. One, yeah, it is It is kind of juxtaposing the, the mundane with something that's kind of usually kind of said in a sexier con- context. Um, and then there's also just like, you know, I'd gotten back from tour and you're, you know, I was basically in the, in a tornado for a year and a half. I was traveling all over the world and doing so much and then I got back home and I was like oh this is so boring um and I was just kind of like 
la just having a laugh at that like oh this is just the the mundane like and it's such a you know it's such a routine um it's not really intended or delivered in like a particularly sexy way which kind of made me giggle um but i played it for <laughs> i played it for my friends uh, my best friend in particular and he just laughed he was like you don't even take out the garbage Bring Mary Loves is kind of bananas. Uh, I I almost don't know what to say about that song, except I remember at the time listening to um, a lot of like psychedelic Turkish music, and um, I was going back down memory lane and listening to the things that I loved when I was like 12 and 13 and first learning how to play guitar, and one of those things was um, Pantera. I really loved Dimebag Daryl's guitar playing. So... Somehow, those two in- influences coalesced into uh, Bring Me Your Loves. But if you describe the song on paper, I would say, oh, that's a terrible idea. I, you know, if I was like, well, what it's going to be is like, this: you're going to yell this thing that your best friend tells you sounds like Anthony Kiedis, but it's going to be over this like New Orleans groove, and then with like kind of a metal riff in the middle and then another another riff that's not in the right key and that swings over bar line I like all of those elements that's cool but putting them all together seemed like oh maybe on paper that's not that's not really gonna fly but it ended up being one of my favorite um, songs on the record just because it's so bizarro bananas That was Annie Clark, otherwise known as St. Vincent. And that's that for this week. Thank you, Harriet and Michael, for coming in. That's great. Thank so, you, Kieran. For more, visit theguardian.com forward slash musicweekly for information and links on the show and to give us your thoughts. See you next week. Support for this Guardian podcast comes from Squarespace, providing creative tools that help you bring your ideas to life. Squarespace offers free domain names, customizable designs, drag and drop tools, and 24-7 support. Squarespace also offers seamless e-commerce solutions for you or your small business. Every design automatically includes a unique mobile experience that matches the overall style of your website, so your content will look brilliant on any device. Start your free trial today. No credit card required. As a Guardian podcast listener, you'll get 10% off your new account by using the offer code GUARDIAN. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.